is our second week, and we're only going to do it three more weeks, and then we'll go back to our, our regular midweek service. And, uh, but, you know, sometimes you just got to try some different things. You know, my, my cup of tea is preaching the Word of God for about an hour, and uh, so this is a little bit new to me. Uh, but we believe that you're going to gain the benefit from it. Amen? And uh, so some of the principles we looked at for being financially uh, a fit, last week we looked at the law of possession, and that is everything I have belongs to God. What I think I own is really a loan. Secondly, we looked at the law of allocation, which basically says that God has loaned me money. And just like those talents, you know, to one he gave ten, to the other he gave five, and to the other he gave one, right? Well, two out of the three went and did something with their talent, and the one didn't do anything with his talent. He buried it. So we looked at, then, thirdly, the law of accountability, and that is that one day God will audit us. It's a final exam on the life that God gave us. It's not an audit by the IRS, but it's an audit by G.O.D. And how many of you know he's got all the records? And then fourthly, we looked at the law of utilization, which basically says that I must wisely use God's money. In other words, God expects me to invest what he has given me. And then tonight we're going to look at the law of motivation. The law of motivation basically says this, I must move against any fear that stands in my way. The one that hid his talent buried it because he yielded to fear. He said, I was afraid and went out and hid your money in the ground. And so we see then the heart of the matter for many people. They do not use their their time wisely, their talents wisely, or their treasures wisely because of a spirit of fear. Oftentimes it is because of the fear of failure. People think things like, well, I could never do that, or I'm not qualified, or, you know, I have failed in the past, so why should I ever try again? You know, two of Jesus' major disciples, one was Judas and one was Peter, they both failed miserably. But their responses to their failure was completely different. Of course, we know what happened to Judas. He wallowed in guilt and took his own life. He quit. But how about Peter? Well, Peter denied the Lord, but Peter repented, did he not? And 50 days later, he was a great success story. On the day of Pentecost, the Holy Ghost came upon him, and God used him mightily to speak for the kingdom of God. The point I want to make to you is this, is you do not have to be a superstar to be used of God. God uses ordinary people. As a matter of fact, you know, it doesn't matter where you've been. What matters is where you're headed. You know where we're headed, don't you? We're headed for increase. We're headed from glory to glory to glory. Somebody shout amen. Amen. And then other people, you know, they, they yield to what the Bible calls the fear of man. Proverbs 29, 25 says this, that the fear of man brings a snare. They, they get Involved in this type of thinking. Well, what will others think? You know, and this person is more talented than me. They've got more gifting than I do. You know, I want to say this to you tonight. Just because you're not the best at something never excuses you to sit and do nothing. Oh, I heard an amen on that one. 
And so we must move, and CIA is dismissed, we must move against the spirit of fear. The sixth principle is the law of application. And that says, if I don't use it, I will what? I will lose it. Have you ever wondered why some people just seem to get less and less in life? Well, the fact is, is they are not using what they've been given. And whether you realize this or not, or understand it or not, God has the right to take away anything I don't use to invest for Him. Here's a spiritual law. We forfeit what we don't, what we don't use. You know, you refuse to exercise, what do you lose? When you refuse to think, your mind gets dull. If you refuse to practice, you lose a talent. Now the flip side of that is this. If I do use what God gives me, He'll give me more. And I'm interested in more. How about you? And so the law of application says, if I don't use it, I will lose it. And then... It leads us to the law of compensation. And this says, God will reward me for good management. Say that with me. God will reward me for good management. He said in verse uh, 21 of that particular chapter, he says, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. Now I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. There's three things about that verse. Number one, there's affirmation. God says to you, good job. Well done. And then promotion. What God says, he will give you greater responsibility. And then there's celebration. Entering into the joy. I mean, you might as well just have a party because rewards are coming your way. Glory to God. I said rewards are coming your way. Now understand this, that money is God's acid test of your faith. Money is God's acid test of your faith. In Luke chapter 16, verse 11 through 13, it says, If you are untrustworthy with worldly wealth, who will trust with you, trust you with the true riches of heaven? And then he goes on to say, If you're not faithful with other people's money, Why should you be trusted with money of your own? No man can serve two masters, for you will hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon. Don't you know it's true? Money is God's acid test. Amen. He's looking for you to be faithful, to bring your tithes. Amen. To bring your offerings unto Him. Now I want to go into something that is really important when you talk about being financially fit. And that is what we will call tonight the law of contentment. Everyone say contentment. How many of you know that if your yearnings exceed your earnings, most likely you're going to get in debt. If your yearnings exceed your earnings... Most likely you're going to get in lust, having to have something, and then obviously get into debt. In Proverbs it says this, It's healthy to be content, but envy will eat you up. Ecclesiastes says this, It is better to be satisfied with what you have than to always be wanting something else. 
How many of you have learned the lesson of contentment? You know, the Apostle Paul said, I've learned a secret. I've learned how to be abased and I've learned how to abound. He said, whatever state I am, he says, therewith, I've what? I have learned to be content. Learned to be content. And that is so vital and so important for all of us. You know what some of the effects of always wanting more are? One of the major effects in the society in which you and I live is people are just flat fatigued and burnt out. They're tired all the time. The race to get more drives us to overwork. And I found a scripture in Proverbs 23, 4. And you just listen tonight because I'm on a time schedule here. It says, do not wear yourself out to be rich, but have the wisdom of God to show restraint. Here is another effect of always wanting more. Not only fatigue, but how many of you know, more expenses. Ecclesiastes 5.11 says it like this. The more you have, the more people come to help you spend it. So what is the advantage of wealth? Except perhaps to watch it run through your fingers. I've discovered this, that it costs more to have more. If the grass is greener, the water bills higher. And so there are certain expenses that come along with getting into having to have something and being discontented with what you have. And then another effect of wanting more is there's more dissatisfaction that comes into a person's life. You know, we think of having more will make us more happy, more secure, more important. I've discovered that things can produce happiness just for a little while. But the thrill and the excitement of things does not last. How many of you know eventually you got to redecorate, replace, and rearrange? I mean, we just did some things to the house. We've been in our house, owned our house since 1988. I'm telling you, it's a constant project. Have you discovered that to be so? In Ecclesiastes 5.10, it says, If you love money, you'll never be satisfied. If you long to be rich, you'll never get all you want. It's useless. The Living Bible says, It's foolish to think that wealth will bring you happiness. We could probably line up 10 billionaires here tonight. Wouldn't that be nice to have 10 billionaires in the church? I guarantee you wouldn't have a mortgage anymore. But you could line up all these billionaires and they probably would tell you, yes, money is is a tool, but money doesn't make you happy. It might make things a little easier, but money cannot buy happiness. You see, we need to appreciate what God's already given to us. Be grateful. Hallelujah. I believe this, that we can learn contentment. So the question is, how do we do that? How do we learn contentment? Number one, refuse to compare yourself with the Joneses. See, the Joneses are back there. Refuse to compare yourself with the Amarals. Part of the Amaral team is right down there. 
But it's true, isn't it? In 2 Corinthians 10, 2, it says this, We do not dare classify or compare ourselves with one another. He says, it is not wise. Ask yourself a question. Watch yourself. How do you react when someone else gets a nicer car than you've got? How do you react when, when someone gets, you know, new furniture? You know, the Bible says rejoice with those who rejoice. Not get upset. Not like this couple that went to a small group. And it was at a plush home in Orange County. And, and uh, the lady, man, she was just all excited. She says, honey, did you see that? Wow, their furniture goes way back to King Louis the Fourteenth." And the husband says, yeah, and ours goes back to Ikea on the 15th. Now, there's nothing wrong with admiring what other people are acquiring, right? But I've discovered that the root of comparing is always insecurity. You get to deal with that if that's a problem in your life. And if you deal with it, you'll be more contented. In Exodus 20, 17, it says, You shall not covet anything that belongs to your neighbor. What is coveting? Well, coveting is the uncontrolled desire to acquire. The word uncontrolled comes after the Hebrew word. It means to to pant after, to grab for. In today's term, it would be materialism. Now, I'm not a Buddhist here. You know what Buddhism is based on? You shouldn't have any desires. No, God gives you desires. And the Bible says, if you del- I'm ready to preach. If you delight yourself in the Lord, He will give you the desires of your heart. So desires are good and desires are godly. And the way that you get into the desires of your heart is by delighting yourself in Him, which is connecting to, connected to seeking first the kingdom of God, His way of being and doing right, and all these things shall be added unto you. Somebody say amen. amen. So comparing then always leads to coveting. How do I learn the secret of contentment? I refuse to compare myself with someone else. Secondly, I enjoy what I have. I don't get bummed out about what I don't have. I enjoy what I do have. Did you know God wants you to enjoy what you have? Think about it as a parent. When you bought your children that toy or you brought them that, whatever you bought them and they were enjoying it, didn't it cause joy in your heart? In Ecclesiastes 5.19, it says this, If God gives a man wealth and property, he should be grateful and enjoy what he has, for it is a gift from God. Friends, pay more attention to what you do have. Open your eyes. I thank God for hot water. I thank God for toilet paper. What would we do without it? I guess we don't want to go there. But we take so much for granted in the United States of America. You go over to some of these third world countries where they don't have hot water, you will kiss American soil when you get home to take a hot shower. I like to sing in the shower and Brenda yells, shut up! Not really. She harmonizes with me, at least she tries. 
Happiness is not getting all you want, but it is enjoying what you have. In 1 Timothy 6, 17, it says this, Command those that are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, which truly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. I love the New Living Translation, which says this, Tell them to use their money to do good, that they should be rich in good works, And should give generously to those in need, always being ready to share with others whatever God has given them. Think about it. Did you know that it's possible for you to be wealthy and not being materialistic? And God is not opposed to you being rich, by the way. As long as you follow four precautions. Number one, don't become proud of your wealth. Thinking you're all that because you ain't all that. And neither am I. Secondly, never put your hope or your confidence in money. Thirdly, use your money to do good. And fourthly, share it with others. Be a blessing. Remember this, that life is not about things. Jesus said, I mean, it's going to be over so quick. So quick. In Luke 2.15, what I want to take with me is I want to take souls. I don't want to take my 2,000 Cadillac with me. You know? I don't want to take my Rolex with me. I don't have a Rolex. I've got a Walmart special. Not really. I've got some nice watches. But I discovered that my watches tick just as good as a Rolex. Are you opposed to having a Rolex? Absolutely not. But I'll never let a Rolex have me. Good preaching, brother. Luke 12, verse 15. We have a little fun tonight, can't we? Smile a while and give your face a rest. Luke 12, 15, Jesus said, watch out and guard yourself from every kind of greed because your true life is not made up of the things you own, no matter how rich you might be. Amen? How do we live in contentment? How, how do we learn the secret of contentment? Here's another one. Focus on what's going to last forever. Give your attention to permanent values. That's God's word and people. Organize your life around eternal priorities. Paul, writing to the church at Corinth, said this, While we look not at the things which are seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Amen? I love this translation. It says, We fix our attention then, not on the things that we see, But on the things we don't see, what can be seen only lasts for a time, but what cannot be seen is going to last forever. Nothing we see around us is going to last forever. I believe that the worst effect of materialism is that it clouds our vision of God. The greatest things 
in life aren't things. I'm going to say that again. The greatest things in life are not things. There's a myth that's floating around. And that is this. If I have a little, I'm worth little. Baloney. You're somebody in the kingdom of God. Now, God wants you to have things. He wants you to prosper and be in health as your soul prospers. He said he would supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. But he didn't say he'd meet all your greeds. He said he'd meet all your needs. All your need. Amen. Before we can look at other laws of financial freedom during this little small course we're having. We need to settle the issue of contentment in our lives. Amen? Ask yourself some tough questions. Just between you and God. What do I think most about? What do I talk most about? What do I give most my time to? I'm not against prosperity. I'm a prosperity preacher. But I believe I've got it in balance. I believe I've got it in balance. And I tell you what, there's just way, way too much talk on television about me, myself, and I, what I have, and what I can do. We need a revelation and the world needs a revelation not of the kind of watches we're wearing and not the Rolls Royces we, Royces we are driving but the Jesus Christ who died for us was buried for us and who was raised from the dead for us and he will do great things in your life if you'll just open up your heart to him anyway somebody shout amen, amen. what do I think most about What do I talk most about? What do I give my time to? What am I living for? Is my primary goal in life just to get more? So each of us then in closing has a choice. Will my lifestyle be determined by Christ or by culture? Will my lifestyle be determined by the master or Madison Avenue? In Psalm 17, verse 15 in the Living Bible, it says, But as for me, my contentment is not in wealth, but in seeing you and knowing all is well between us. And when I awake in heaven, I'll be fully satisfied, for I will see you face to face. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Let's stand up and thank him for his word tonight. Yes, thank you. Did you get anything out of that? Yes, I, did. I realize it's kind of, you know, fast and you could preach a month on each point, but I think you get the message.